Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy. There it is. Hey, Mosaic, how are y'all doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. Really glad that you guys are here. Yes, we are in a series. I have been loving this series. Are you guys loving this series? Everyday people about how to love one another better the way God loves us, which is maybe the way that we did not learn to love ourselves or learn each other. So we have talked about things that are really important when it comes to loving other people. We've talked about love. We've talked about trust. We've talked about forgiveness. And today we're going to talk about envy. Envy. You're like, envy? That doesn't exactly go. Love, trust, forgiveness, envy. But we've been using 1 Corinthians as one of our anchor passages. So let's go ahead and look at it and see what it says right there. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So love does not envy, but I think everyday people do. I do. Do y'all envy? Is there anything that you envy? I think that this is something that we can all kind of relate to and come together on. I envy a really ridiculous thing. There's one thing, one thing that I envy that I have always envied. Anybody want to guess what it is? Maybe I don't actually want you to guess what it is. <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. It's eyelashes. I envy eyelashes. You can laugh because it's ridiculous. It is a ridiculous thing. But if you did not know, I am clearly not the only one that has eyelash envy. Y'all, this is a $1.4 billion industry this year. That is insane. So many people have eyelash envy. You can get serums. Now, granted, it's like $150 for a bottle the size of a quarter. You can get a lash lift. Did you know that you can perm your eyelashes? Haven't done it. Scares me. But you can. You can get eyelash extensions, not just extensions for your hair, for your eyelashes. It's going to run you a couple hundred dollars a pop, and they got to be filled like every six weeks. But that's why I still have eyelash envy. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of commitment, right? And now, listen, you might be like, Kristen, your eyelashes look so good. What are you talking about? Thank you. It's also because you're looking at them from very far away. <laughs> These are $5 strip lashes from CVS. By the time this message is over, they're probably going to be flapping like, hello, time to go, bye-bye. It's ridiculous, but I know this is my thing. This is my thing that I envy. I have eyelash envy. And so what is your ridiculous thing that you envy? Maybe it's calves. Maybe you're walking by somebody at the gym and you're like, oh man, 
Maybe it's biceps. Maybe it's hair. Maybe it's somebody's car. Maybe it's a home or a house. Maybe it's vacations that other people get to take. Maybe it's someone's spouse. Maybe it's sneakers. There are lots of things. We all have a thing that we envy. And they're generally ridiculous things. So we're like, whatever, it seems to be, it's, it's harmless, right? Like, it's not a big deal. It's okay if we have envy. It's something we all have together. But unfortunately, if envy goes unchecked, it can also make us do ridiculous things. So envy makes us do ridiculous things. The first thing that it does is envy makes us compare. Now, usually envy makes us compare with people that we don't know, people that are far removed from us. So it could be somebody that you're passing at the grocery store. You walk by and you're like, man, look at that. Maybe you're driving. You drive past somebody you don't know and you all of a sudden find yourself being envious or jealous of their car. Maybe it's somebody with status, somebody that's elevated somehow. Maybe they're on a stage. Maybe they're in the media. Maybe it's on social media. But because you don't actually know that person, our mind starts to fill in the gaps of all of the things that we don't know, who they are, what they're about, why they're doing the things that they're doing, what their motivation is. How did they actually get there? We start to fill in gaps with all of these things. Maybe we even take opinions from other people and add them in to the mix. And all of a sudden, we have made so many assumptions about these people that we do not know that we start to believe the narrative that we've made up about them is true. And you know what they say about people who assume, right? They're typically wrong. That's all. That's all. Some of y'all like when I speak too much because you're just waiting for me to say a word that I'm not supposed to say. I'm not going to do it every time, you guys. Okay. We got to move on. Got to move on. So when we compare to other people, what happens is it often creates a hierarchy. Either we elevate ourselves and we look down on other people, or we elevate other people to look down on ourselves. And neither of these help us to love other people better. So that's the first thing envy does. Envy also makes us compete. If you've ever heard of the term scarcity mentality, envy is behind that. Because scarcity mentality says whatever it is, whatever that thing is that you want, think of that one thing that you desire, you would love to have. Whatever that one thing is, there is only one of them. There is only one, and it's limited. So if someone else has it, you cannot. Now, where comparison generally takes place with people that we don't actually know, competition happens with people that we do. Envy makes us compete with people that we know. So maybe at work, you're fighting for a promotion. Maybe you are fighting, you're competing to get on your boss's good side, to kind of get that like unwritten status over here. Maybe you are competing to get a particular happy hour invitation, and if you do, you're going to make sure that somebody else doesn't know about it. Maybe you're trying to compete for a particular project or a team, or you're already on that project or team, and what you're actually then competing for is the recognition of who did the best job in the group project. Maybe it's in relationships. You can't be happy when your single friends find somebody else and are happy because that's just one less person for you out there in the dating pool. So instead of going out and having fun with your friends, you find yourself competing. 
When you go out, you have to look the best. You have to be the loudest. You have to make the first invitation. You have to make sure that you're the one having the conversations with other people. And instead of going out and actually enjoying yourself with people that you like, you're secretly competing for attention. Some of us are doing this in our families. Siblings. Sibling rivalry is a thing. Some of you are competing to be the best sibling, to be the favorite child. Because even though there's not a favorite child, we all know there is. It might change, but there is one. So some of you are competing, even as adult children, to be the favorite child. Parents, some of you are competing with each other to be the best parent to be the fun parent, to be the cool parent, to do the parent that does all the work, that gets the recognition. Guys, when we do this, we are competing with our partners. You are competing with your teammate and the person that is supposed to be there to help this very hard, difficult job be easier. Some of you, maybe older parents, may actually be competing with your own adult children and you don't know why. And you probably would even say, this is not me, I'm not doing this. But for whatever reason, when something good happens in their life, you almost feel a need to like one-up them or make sure the power dynamic stays where you stay on top and you're still the adult and they know that they're still the child. Maybe it's because they, didn't, uh, they have different opportunities than you had. Maybe you didn't have the choices that they have to stay home or to work or to do both. And you're not exactly sure what it is but somehow anything good that happens in their life triggers you, stirs something up in you. And it is straining the relationship with someone that you used to be so easily happy for or so easily proud of just because they were your kid. See, unchecked envy makes everyone a threat, even people we love. Because competition says that there's a winner and there is only one. And if it is someone else, it cannot be you. So Envy says, don't celebrate achievements. Don't acknowledge wins. Don't be proud of other people. Why should you get what I can't have? Why should anyone else be happy and have the things that they want in their life if I don't get that for myself? And we can't love people well while we're competing with them secretly wishing that they will lose something or maybe just not gain something else so that we can even out the playing field. Another thing that envy does is it makes us cancel. I think one of our fascinations with social media is that we get to watch so many people and we get to watch their lives so closely. And so because of that, we can watch for them to slip up. We can watch for people to make a mistake to fail, to trip. We're looking for any indication that people are not as perfect as those assumptions that we had previously made decided that they were. Because what happens when someone fails, and the media loves to catch this, is that when someone falls and they lose their thing, all of a sudden it's up for grabs again. And everybody else can swoop back in and go back to competing, and maybe now one of us can get that thing. Some of you are like, yo, Kristen, that is cutthroat. Like, chill. Not everybody's like that. And that's probably true. If that doesn't apply to you, let me ask you this. Have you canceled yourself? Have you canceled yourself? Have you been so focused looking at everyone else and seeing all of the things that God is doing in the lives of everyone else 
that you have believed the lie that you have nothing left to give. You have believed the lie that God has forgotten you. And so you've canceled yourself. And this could look a variety of ways. It could be really loud. This could look very loud where you're angry and you're just going to rage against all of the things and all of the reasons why you can't have the things that you have and all of the things that have kept you from the life that you are supposed to live. Or it can look like a quiet resignation where over time you just kind of stopped. You stopped believing, you stopped trying, you stopped having hope. Maybe this happened in your faith. Maybe you felt like you weren't hearing from God or you weren't seeing God work, and so you just kind of stopped looking for him. Maybe this happened with a dream that God gave you, something that you fully believed was supposed to happen in your life, a purpose that you were supposed to live out, but now you can see no future possibility of it ever happening, and so you've kind of just quit. You've kind of quit believing. And that thing that you used to pray about and that lit you up inside and that gave you purpose and that gave you meaning, you just let it go. And when you canceled that, you let your self-value and your self-worth and your purpose kind of go right along with it. See, envy destroys more than our external relationships. It taints our relationships with ourself and it gets in the way of our relationship with God. Love does not envy. So we have to learn to manage it. And we learn to manage it with gratitude. There's a really great story in Luke that's going to help us illustrate this. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaritans lived in Samaria and the Jews lived in Galilee and they were not friends. Jews avoided the Samaritans at all costs. Basically, during the Assyrian and Babylonian conquest, many of the Jews were carried off. The Samaritans came back in, took over their land, took over their people, took over all of their things. And even though eventually some of the Jews were sent back in, by then the damage had been done. And for a variety of of reasons, these people groups never got along, have never been friends. So I already love this picture of Jesus standing in the middle, holding the tension between two opposing people groups. So it says, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, Jesus was just stating a Levitical law here. Anybody that wanted purification from a skin disease had to be declared clean through a particular ceremony that happened by a priest. But what's interesting here is that ceremony usually took place after the healing happened. Yet we see Jesus sending them on their way while they're still covered in wounds, which would not have been the protocol. So that makes me wonder, what was this walk like? What was this walk like? How far did Jesus let them go before they got healed? Was it immediate? Was it gradual? Did he let them get all the way there? I think a lot of times we read the Bible I will say even sometimes I read the Bible like it's a fairy tale, right? And so I read a story like this and I'm like, oh, yay, everybody's happy. And they're like, okay, Jesus, let's go. And they just walk off and everybody's happy and they know what's going to happen. But these were real people. And so I'm guessing that that was not necessarily the case. I'm guessing that there was at least one person, one of these lepers was skeptical, was like, you know what? Great. 
cool. Here's another person sending us on our way. Here's another person just trying to get rid of us. Here's another person telling us that there's something better for my future. I've heard it before. It hasn't happened yet. I don't see any signs that this is going to happen or that my life is ever going to be better, but okay, we'll leave you alone. We'll go somewhere else. My guess is that there was some skepticism, some doubt, maybe bitterness or frustration, probably an unspoken pity and feeling sorry for themselves as they compared their lives and their stories to the lives and the stories of so many people around them. But this is what the grace and the love of Jesus that we don't have to earn looks like. As people were walking away from Jesus, away from maybe what they even believed was their only solution or their only chance, as they were walking away from them, their healing took place in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their skepticism, maybe a healing that they didn't even expect. As they're walking away from him, they get healed. Continues on. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Luke's like, I want to make sure that you know this. This is a really crucial point. He was a Samaritan. They were not friends. And not only that, but the cultural expectation with Jesus being a Jewish man was that, especially now as he was approached for the second time by the Samaritan, that he should have told him to go away and leave him alone. Instead, Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Okay, we're going to get back to the, the one Samaritan who came back in a second, but all 10 were healed. So I'm going to ask the same question that Jesus asked. Where were the other nine? Where would you have been? What would you have been doing? If you all of a sudden realized that you were healed, I'm not going to lie. I would have whipped out my cell phone and I'd have been taking selfies. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, guys, I'm not even using a filter. Look at how good my skin looks. This is amazing. So maybe that's what they were doing. Maybe they were caught up in their healing. Maybe they were so caught up in their healing that they forgot to be grateful. Or maybe they were still so rooted in envy that not even their healing, not even an answered prayer could change their perspective. There's a possibility that they started comparing right away. Cool, great. I'm glad that we got healed. I mean, this is nice, but I heard that he healed other people in their homes with their family. Like, that's more personal. I heard he healed other people in crowds so that everybody would, would believe that this miracle actually happened. I heard when Lazarus died or didn't die, or I don't know, that he even cried with him. Like he could, Jesus couldn't even be bothered to come with us to like see our healing. Like, cool. I mean, I guess it's good that we're healed, but he could have done a little bit more. Maybe they immediately started competing with each other. These people who had been outcast from society and not allowed into the community for maybe their entire lives, all of a sudden were now able to go back in to the city to live with people for the first time. I wonder if there was some competition for who was going to get that wife, who was going to get that job, who was going to get that opening. Or maybe they got too busy canceling out the other lepers and the group that they had left behind because they wanted to make sure that they removed themselves from anybody who was still sick or a sinner or inflicted with that pain and hope. Instead of allowing gratitude to help other people see the humanity of the leper community that they had left behind, 
I wonder if instead they were so busy canceling them that they removed themselves, forgetting that this was the place that they had just been. People that needed hope and compassion and to be seen. I don't know. We don't know what happened to the other nine, but we do know that this one guy, this one Samaritan came back because when he looked at his life, he saw the effect of Jesus and that changed everything. See, when envy wants us to compare, gratitude helps us see. Let's think about this moment of healing, okay? Leprosy was a skin disease, skin disease, open wounds, sores. I'll let you picture it. So because of that, they also thought it was very, very contagious. They had to be wrapped, completely wrapped. Heads, body, arms, legs, hands, everything would have been wrapped. So as they're walking and their healing's taking place, they wouldn't have even seen it. All they would have been able to see was someone else's healing and someone else's face in front of them. They would have seen transformation happen in the life of someone else not even realizing that a miracle had also taken place inside of them. Could it be you are so focused on looking at and seeing the miracles that God is doing in someone else's life that we are missing the miracle that he is already also doing inside of us? It takes intentionality to see the good in our own lives. One of the things that psychologists say that we have to do to become more grateful people is to write a, write a gratitude list. You know, write down three to five things at the end of the day. And honestly, every time I hear this, it makes me want to roll my eyes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do that at the end of the day. I want to complain. I want to talk about the things that did not go right. That's what actually comes naturally to me. Not writing down a list of things that I'm grateful for. But apparently, scientifically, complaining only makes you feel worse because it makes you relive those scenarios and relive those negative moments and it cements them in our minds. Now, I'm not saying don't get rid of your big feelings because what you don't uh, release, you recycle. What you don't let out, you will keep replaying. But there's a difference between getting out your big emotions so that you don't hold it in and explode on someone like a volcano, maybe your spouse, I don't know, I'm just saying, versus... Be complaining, where if we're being honest, what or who we're generally complaining about is not so loving. Gratitude helps us to see what is instead of what isn't. And we have to start small. Where is God working in your life? What is a prayer that he has answered? Maybe a prayer that you even forgot that you prayed, but he has shown up. Maybe you have a job. It's not your dream job. It's not an ideal job, but it's a job and it pays the bills, and you can be grateful for that. What about people in your life? Maybe the people in your life actually are showing you how much you value alone time, but there's still people in your life. There are still people that are there to walk through things with you. Your health, your home, your car, your church, as imperfect as it is, you still have a community. These are all things that we can be grateful for. We have to train ourselves to see what is instead of what isn't. The second thing is when envy wants us to compete, gratitude helps us tell. Gratitude helps us to tell. Even though all of the lepers were healed, only the one came back to Jesus to acknowledge and to thank him. We have to tell. We have to use our words. Now, before God surprised everyone, including me, by calling me into ministry, I was a kindergarten teacher for 12 years. 
And one of my favorite things that I would do with my kindergartners was morning meeting. And we would sit on the carpet in a circle and I would teach them the really important things, like before we got to this is how you read a book, things about like how to be a good person and show up for other people. And one of the things that I would always have them do is I would give them the chance to give each other compliments because it brought class unity and all kinds of lovely things to start our day, but it also taught them to be grateful for other people. Now, it was a process. Kindergartners, these were five-year-olds, okay? Didn't always work exactly how I wanted it to. Sometimes it took a lot longer than I thought it would need to get the lesson. But I had one kid, one of my favorite, <laughs> my favorite kids, and he was so excited about compliments. And so every day, it did not matter what day it is, who he was talking to, every single day he would sit down, he would look at the person next to him, and he would say, I like your shirt. Next day, person next to him, I like your shirt. However many days, 180 days of school, person next to him, I like your shirt. To the point we would all start laughing because we, we knew, we were like, oh man, he, he's so excited and he tries so hard and he really meant it. But that was all he could come up with. On the other side of the spectrum, I had a kid who wanted to participate, but this was hard for him. It was a struggle. And so when it was time for him to compliment someone, he would like take a deep breath and he's like, okay, I like that you have a face. <laughs> like the most basic of things, we're talking about life-changing compliments here, right? In kindergarten. So if gratitude is hard for you, here's what I'm saying. Channel your inner kindergartner. Start somewhere. Find something. We're actually going to practice right now. I want you to either turn to your neighbor or pull out your phone and text somebody, and you have only two options. You can tell them, I like your shirt, or I like that you have a face. Not I like your face, not your face is better than mine. I like that you have a face. All right, this week, y'all having fun with that, I like it. This week, I want you to pick one person that you want to love better. Maybe somebody that you're actually more prone to compete with. And I want you to give them a compliment. I want you to tell them why you're grateful for them. Maybe it's a coworker that you've seen work really, really hard. Even if they're working really hard on something that you work really hard on every single day, I want you to tell them, hey, I'm glad that you're here. I'm grateful you're part of our team. Maybe it's somebody in your life who really honestly just kind of teaches you grace. And it's hard. It's one of those hard relationships. Tell them why you're grateful for them. And if you can't make your face play along, then text them. I am so thankful that you did this today for me. Smiley face sent. It's not about being fake. It's not about living a life that's not genuine. It's about learning to become grateful people. We have to practice. Gratitude that is not expressed is not gratitude. Last, when envy wants us to cancel, gratitude helps us do. We have to take these blessings or these answered prayers, these good things, whatever we want to call them, these effects of Jesus in our life, and we have to put them into practice. We have to use them. I asked you earlier if you had maybe canceled yourself if you'd quit or given up on something, and you may be internally slinking down like, oh, I was really hoping you wouldn't bring that back up again. I want you to know I get it. I get it. I actually have like a debilitating fear of mediocrity. And so if I think that something is just going to be okay, I don't do anything at all. 
I understand. If I something is not going to be amazing or incredible or change lives, it keeps me from doing anything at all. But what happens is when we do that, instead of taking the gifts that God has given us, instead of taking the things that he has put within us to use to point people to him, we just remove ourselves from their lives completely, or we remove ourselves from his plan for our life. And again, none of that is going to help us love people better. It's like if you ever picked out a gift for somebody and you put in so much thought for it and then you give it to them and they either don't open it and you have to be like, and this is for you. Let me give it to you again. Open this gift, right? Or they open it. They're like, yay, cool. Then you go to their house and it's just sitting there unused. I don't know about you. When I, I'm like, how dare you? I picked this out perfect for you. It's gonna make your life better. It's gonna make you happy. Why aren't you using this gift? I have it so much thought and intention. It's perfect for you. I wonder, with a lot more grace than I have, if God doesn't wonder the same thing sometimes, where he's like, I gave you these gifts. It's gonna make your life better. It's gonna make you happier. I picked these gifts especially for you. Why won't you even try to use them? Now, if you have no idea what your gifts are, your spiritual gifts. I really want to encourage you to sign up for next X Factor next Tuesday. We will actually teach you all about this. We'll help you figure out what your spiritual gifts are, what your gifts are, and how you can use them. We won't make you practice and do any like kind of role playing or anything like that, but we will help you to know how God has made you unique. Don't cancel out what you have because you think it's not enough. Your home is big enough, start a small group. Have people over. You have enough chairs where they can sit on the floor. Your car is just fine. It doesn't matter that it has goldfish crushed into the floor. You can pick someone up and you can bring them to church. Use that Holy Spirit discernment. When you think of someone randomly, text them. You are using the gift of encouragement that they probably need right in that moment. Don't cancel yourself out. Accept who you were made to be, then do the things that you were meant to do. You're not being showy. You are living a life of gratitude. Learning to love like people, like God, learning to love people like God loves us is a process. It's a process. And it starts with accepting and believing that God loves you unconditionally the way that he does. Because envy really wants you to believe that he doesn't. Envy really wants you to believe that because of comparison and competition, it wants to use those things to convince you that God doesn't actually love you as much as he loves everyone else. Envy wants you to believe that God has forgotten you and that he is holding out on you. But gratitude, if we can learn to be more grateful people, helps us to see that God is always at work in our lives not just when we're here, not just when we're listening to messages or we are able to sit and listen to worship music, but God is moving in every single random mundane moment of your life. We just have to train our eyes to look for him, to see where he's moving among so many other things that are competing for our attention. And we can do this. We can get better at this. Choosing gratitude will help us to see what is instead of what isn't. It will help us to accept people as they are, as opposed to who we wish they were. 
Gratitude will help us to love and live in the lives that we actually have instead of waiting to live in the lives we wish we had. Choosing gratitude helps us to embrace the people that we are instead of wishing we were someone else. Paul gave really beautiful encouragement to his church in Philippi, showing them what it looks like to reflect back on their lives and to see how the presence of Jesus in their lives has made their lives better, what, what gratitude can do. And so I want this actually to be our prayer today. I'm going to read from Philippians 2, but I'm actually going to change Paul's language from you to us. So I don't want you to hear this as something that I'm saying to you. This is something that I want to be our prayer as a church together. Actually, why don't you stand with me and I'll make it our prayer this morning. If we've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in our lives, if being in a community of the spirit means anything to us, if we have a heart, if we care, let's commit to this agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Let's not push our way to the front or sweet-talk our way to the top. Let's put ourselves aside and help others get ahead. Let's choose not to be obsessed with getting our own advantage and forget ourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. God, we thank you so much. Lord, I pray that this would be the heart of our church today, God, that this would be the heart of your church. Lord, that you would open our eyes and help us to see all of the places that you're moving. God, all of the things in our lives that we can be grateful for. Because God, there are so many. You have shown up and you have blessed us or given us things, God, that we haven't even recognized. And so Lord, we just wanna thank you in advance. We thank you right now. God, for the things, the promises that you've made. God, for the things that are in our lives that we have not seen. And I pray that you would help us to use our words this week, God, to tell other people how grateful we are that we have a relationship with you, that our lives are better because of your presence. God, I pray that we would be brave enough to use our gifts and to do the things that we know you want us to do. God, it's only in your power that we can do it. So Lord, we lay down our own strength. We lay down our own visions, our own dreams, God, our, our own excuses, God, for the reason we're not doing the things we know we're supposed to do, the reasons we're not being the people we know we're supposed to be. God, and we ask that your Holy Spirit and your strength would spur us on to doing that this week. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.